Hello and welcome back to the South American Football Show. We're going to continue talking about the, the Copa Libertadores. The kind of key narratives are emerging in each of the groups. Some groups look like we have a clear leader. Some groups very much still up in the air. Some surprises, some, some teams fulfilling their potential. Uh, plenty of questions, hopefully plenty of answers. We'll see. Uh, delighted to say this week I'm joined by Adam Brandon in Chile. Adam, welcome. Hello. Yeah, good to be back on the on the show again, especially after what was a, after a couple of decent Chilean performances in the Libertadores. An unusual week in that sense. Well, yeah. Well, enjoy it. Enjoy it. <laughs> Not so great for Colombians, but we'll come to that in a minute. Uh, we also have Tom Robinson. Uh, Tom, welcome. Cheers. Not delighted to see me. Just just uh, sort of mildly happy. <laughs> well you know it's, you know it's good you fulfill a role in the podcast well i've played my part that's uh that's as big as a compliment as anyone could hope for but yeah looking forward to getting into it perfect excellent excellent already dividing dividing the pod with my introduction one minute in i'm already upsetting people but here we go um right well let's kick off straight away we'll go through each group this week um and we'll talk about some of the results some of the kind of Big, big performances, big names, some of the teams that are edging through to the knockout stages, some of the teams who've got work to do. So Group A will kick off and we'll look at the, the first group with one of the big performances and one of the teams who've been consistently good so far in the group stages is Palmeiras. They've won all four of their games. Um, I would say a very professional performance this week. They played against Independiente del Valle. A team that's very strong in possession, but Palmeiras, it was a bit of an old school Palmeiras performance from my perspective. Um, we've seen that they've got danger in attack, they've got quality going forward, uh, but this was very much a, a Felipe Melo special. He, he came on and played an important role. Um, they got the goal and, and they kind of saw the game out in many regards. And I think it was impressive from Palmeiras. They didn't really give independent to the Raje. Uh, any big opportunities despite giving up quite a lot of possession. Uh, Rafael Vega scored the penalty just before the break. Uh, and then IDV, I mean, they had 21 shots on goal, but they were quite speculative. 72% possession from the Ecuadorians against the Brazilian Giants. Um, it was a lot of IDV attack versus some very organized Palmeiras defense. Uh, and while perhaps you'd expect more uh, assertive football from one of the strongest teams on the continent. I think it was a, an impressive professional performance. Uh, Adam, what are your thoughts on, on these two teams? Um, are you impressed by IDB's dominance of the ball or perhaps worried by a lack of uh, killer instinct? Or is it just Palmeiras did a really good job? Yeah, it does seem like uh, Palmeiras have IDB's number a bit over these two games. Um, they certainly know how to defend them well. Um, I think with Independiente de Valle, um, I still feel that they could come good in this group. I think there's some still some teething issues under under their new manager. Um, it did look like he had sort of ironed them out it, you know, when, when they so impressively knocked out Gromio, but you do still see, you know, some some issues with with exactly how he wants this team to play. And uh, and yeah, I think I think for that to function he also needs to make sure he has his best players out there on the pitch, which hasn't always been the case either. So yeah, I just feel that with with IDV it's gonna come down 
to that game against Defensa y Justicia. I think the fact that the Peruvians, Universitario, managed to get a draw was a was a big favour, really, for for Independiente de Valle. And um, and yeah, it still leaves kind of this group in their hands. And you know, I'd still fancy them in a one-off match to to get the job done. But yeah, it's it, I. At this point, I've, I would have expected them to be second rather than third in the group. Um, so it's, it's slightly disappointing from from that. They perhaps lack some some quality in the final third this year. Um, don't quite um, don't quite convince at times um, up top when they signed Brian uh, Montenegro. I wasn't totally convinced by that signing but he seemed to spend sort of his first month or two with IDV sort of proving me wrong on that front um but yeah I've, I've, I feel that they could still come good um as we speak actually they've come from behind today in the Ecuadorian league uh, one nil down at half time playing playing not so well and now they're 2-1 up so yeah I don't uh, I think uh, I think there's still lots of potential here um, in this side, and I think if you dominate games as much as they do, I do feel like the results will eventually come. So, yeah, whether they will come in time or not is is another matter. But yeah, it's still a bit of a work in progress, really. I think. Uh, Tom, what do you think on on IDV? Basically, uh, first of all, what happened with Defensa Justicia? Uh, you know, not a not a terrible result to draw away. Um, but perhaps a game they would have hoped to have won. Um, what are your thoughts on that one? And if it comes down to it, who are you backing, IDV or Defensor? <laughs> yeah, that's going to be the million-dollar question, I think. But um, from a Defensor Justicia point of view, it's definitely a game that I think they would have targeted as uh, an opportunity to get three points. This is a Defensor Justicia side who have been playing well and, and they've got themselves into a good position. And this was definitely a case of of dropped points, not so much in the performance because I thought Universitario actually for the first time in this competition showed across a, a 90 minutes, quite a, a decent performance and, and defensive this year weren't really at it. You know, they, they have had some of their big players come back, Brian Romero coming back and making an impact Enzo Fernandez back in the side. So this is not the depleted side that we uh, saw narrowly lose to Palmeiras uh, last week. So I think they'll be disappointed in sort of in theory rather than actually what they saw on the um, from the game itself. It was probably a deserved draw. Um, there weren't really that many chances in the first half. Brian Romero had a great um, double opportunity um, about midway through the first half. A back pass just left him all alone. Really good save from the keeper, um, and then his his follow up shot was blocked on not on the line but by a defender sort of tracking back. And then Quintero for Universitario, right on in the last minute of injury time in the first half, um, put the Peruvians ahead. Really nice, slick counter-attacking move. I think um, Unsain, the, the defensive goalkeeper, could have done a lot better. He kind of palmed it out, but not quite out of the danger area. And Quintero uh, was on hand to, to to slide in and get the goal just before half time, which really sort of changed the complexion of the game. Um, and then after that, 
you know, it was it was all for defence. He this year to do the pushing, and and then they had a really really nice team goal. Something that I really think typifies their approach. It was a long passing movement. You know, they're really really patient, and the finish was a bit fortunate from Romero. It's uh, it kind of bobbled off um, either himself or the defender, and kind of went over the goalkeeper. So it was a bit fortunate um, from that point of view. But um, yeah, I think it was all in all a one all draw is probably a fair result and Peruvians will be happy that they had an improved performance but not really enough to see them have any say in this group that's probably their their best chance um, gone now to get back into the group and it means that okay defensively with this year will be happy that they didn't lose and they've got a point and they're a, a, uh, they're a point ahead of the uh, Independiente del Valle but realistically you've, you've got to think that if Independiente del Valle beats Universitario, which isn't a given, but I think we're probably all expecting it to happen. Um, then and and they can't get anything against Palmeiras, which again is going to be a tough uh, a, a tough ask. Then they're probably going to have to be in a situation where they win that last game, albeit at home against Independiente del Valle. So it's I think it's definitely going to go down to the wire. I think. Um, Universitario could be kingmakers for that second place if they manage to do what they've done um, against Defensa to the Ecuadorians. Then maybe we're going to have a, a straight shootout where both Defensa and Independiente de Valle are looking to win that game. But potentially the Ecuadorians might just need a draw to get themselves through. So I'm probably leaning towards um, Independiente, Independiente del Valle, but. Honestly, it could, it's going to go right down to the wire. So, um, yeah, I'm not a brave enough man to predict who's going to go through in second place just yet. Okay, definitely will be an will be an interesting one and uh, a very much a clash of styles as well. Independiente del Valle, uh, very patient in their build up, um, moving the ball, passing out from the back. Whereas Defensivo Justicia used the ball well, but but a little bit more direct. Lots of playing it wide and coming back inside. So. It's, uh, it should be interesting to see. And uh, yeah, two different teams, but two teams who've made incredible progress in the last few years. We always talk about Independiente del Valle and how they've become a, a force in South American football. But Defensi, who this year is a team nobody had heard of. <laughs> well, at least I had never heard of a couple of years ago. And now they're, you know, uh, winning titles, competing, at, uh, you know, oh, in, in international competitions. It's uh, very uh, impressive. Of course, back-to-back um, Sudamericana winners as well. So exactly between the pair of them perfect yeah exactly so we'll see one of them's going through Palmeiras looking well Palmeiras are through already uh, I believe mathematically um, at the top and then it will come down to Defensa Justicia or Independiente del Valle in Group A um, perfect okay moving on let's have a look at Group B which is incredibly tight we perhaps wouldn't have expected it to be as tight as it, as it is um, I would say we, we probably looked at it and thought Internacional uh, are the clear favourites. They've played some good football at times as well. They've got a manager who, do we, who we like. and uh, But so far, everyone's on six points after four games. And I think it's going to remain quite close um, as well. We have uh, Internacional, Always Ready, Olympia and Tachira in this group. And I think the most interesting result in this group, which has really set things up nicely, is Tachira beating Internacional 2-1. Um, away in Venezuela, uh, Internacional had made some changes. They'd rested players. Uh, and during the game, I think they made quite a few changes around 60, 70 minutes. 
they took the lead for a, a penalty. Thiago Gallardo uh, took the penalty really well um, just after half time. And at that point, Internacional kind of felt job was done. Uh, they limited Tachira, Tachira with 35% possession. Um, Tachira, you know, looking dangerous on the occasional counter, but not really in the game. Um, and then suddenly everything was twisted, turned on its head. Uh, Nelson Hernandez played a one-two off an international defender, which is an interesting one. He, he kind of came, he just came onto the pitch as off the bench. Uh, Hernandez picked the ball up on the right wing, dribbled inside, played a pass towards the penalty spot, looking for a one-two, and he got the perfect return pass uh, off an international centre back threw on goal, finished nicely, and suddenly Internationals, you know, control of the game, their management, their, you know, resting players, let's think of the next game, and suddenly they're one all away in Venezuela. Uh, and it was the Venezuelans who got the win. Uh, Maurice Cora uh, with the with the penalty. Uh, and, you know, despite, you know, far less possession and despite not really looking like they were in the game for the first half, um, Internacional took the foot off the pedal, relaxed, and, and they got hit. And suddenly a, a group that, you know, they looked in control of, you know, just win against Venez- the Venezuelan opposition. Then, you know, we've got a, you know, we've got a, you know, slightly trickier game perhaps against Olympia and, and we, you know, we should be through. Suddenly they're, they're in a bit of trouble. It's at least going to be more difficult. The next game is going to be international against Olympia and always ready against Tachira in Venezuela. So this could go any way, you know, in a week's time, we could be looking at, you know, a- any leader in this group. I think it's going to be an interesting one. Um, what about the other game, Tom? Uh, Olympia always ready. How, how did that one play out? Yeah, I think this was another big shock, to be honest. You know, at the start of the tournament, we would have said Olympia should be cruising through alongside Internacional. But the way they've been playing in the first three games... And the fact that Always Ready have looked so good at home, you kind of thought, you know what, this is a chance for the Bolivians to take top spot in the group and really, you know, stamp home their authority. That The fact that they've got, you know, their their home advantage there and won their first two games at home, you thought this is this has got to be a, an easy three points for them. And I think they could be really um, left ruining that chance to, to win... All, the, all their home games because now they're going to need something on the road, which yeah, typically... They've got two away games left now. Yeah. You don't fancy their chances anymore. And, and I think when we did the pod last week, I think we all kind of agreed, you know, they'd probably beat Olympia at home, like you're saying, and, and you know, then they might be able to sneak a point on, on the road to really sort of ensure qualification. But yeah, as you're saying, like, it's, it's looked very difficult for them now after having got themselves in such a good position. Yeah, and it's such a turnaround for Olympia as well. You know, they look dead and buried from their, after three games and, and all of a sudden they're, they're right back in it. And with the other results, with in, Internationale's poor away form and... Um, yeah, this surprise victory, which they got right at the death, 93rd minute winner, um, played that altitude game perfectly, really got the opening goal, hung on as long as they could, which wasn't too long to be fair, and then just managed to nip it at the end. So really, really impressive, savvy performance that we probably, you know, have been used to um, from the Paraguayans. And um, yeah, couple of couple of nice goals. It was... Um, uh, the, the first goal from Gonzalez f- came from some really nice work down the left by Ivan Torres. And 
the final goal as well, uh, Camacho sort of escaped down the the left and and just showed that energy that you kind of wouldn't have expected from the away team in Bolivia um, to put in a really nice cross and, and silver on on the end of it. So this this group is is going again right down to the wire, and um, I I have no idea who's going to get through. I mean, probably Internacional just by. You know the sheer right. force of their, yeah, their they've, squad. They've got they've got two home games yeah. left now. I think right? that's international big. as well. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I think we can put them through, and then it looks like it's going to come down to that Olympia uh, Tashera game, which is the last game I think in this group. Yeah, so that could be a really so. exciting one, and and yeah, Olympia right back in it. All about the the comebacks, and it just shows that even after three games, you can't write anyone off because this Libertadores tournament will provide all sorts of twists and turns. And and that is the beauty of this competition, especially when you've got these varied nations, you know, with different home advantages and they, they can, you know, anyone can lose on their day away in Venezuela or away in Bolivia. So um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's the, probably the most Libertadores group that we've got in this competition this year. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things to look out for. Um, so the next, the next, uh, the next match day sees Tatra at home to Always Ready, and Olympia at home to a. Oh no, sorry, International do yeah. Scrap what I said before because International still have to go away to Olympia. Actually, so it's Olympia who are the team who have two home games left, not International. So. Yeah, I got I, I got that one wrong, but yeah, it it looks to me I would still back International because that they've got always ready on on the last match day. They're already top on on goal difference, and and you've got to fancy that that they would at least win that game. Um, yeah, but I, I I still think that Olympia Tashara game on on the last match day is going to be pretty big as well. And depending how Olympia do against International, it could well be the case that Tashara, if they beat um, Always Ready, they might just need a draw in Paraguay. Mm. And you know we know how well uh, Tashara can defend, and you wouldn't necessarily put that past them. Yeah, I think Tachira need to be always ready at home. Um, if it's a draw, I don't fancy them. But if they can, if they can win at home to always ready, and again we've seen always ready do so, you know perhaps surprisingly well away. We we sometimes write off Bolivian teams on the road, but but they've done very you know well. They've been very competitive in their away games, so it won't be easy. But if Tachira can beat always ready, that will put them three points ahead uh, of uh, of of Olympia. If Olympia lose uh, away uh, against Internacional, again, they're at home, so who knows? It's going to be an interesting one. It's a, it's a tough group to predict. We'll have to see. But I think Tachida, if they can be always ready, will put themselves in an excellent position uh, on the final day, depending how results go elsewhere. So, yeah, it's a bit of a complicated one, um, which is all part of the fun. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's four very different teams. We were kind of perhaps a little worried of Brazilian dominance, um, but... When international, you know, they haven't got the job done yet. They've still got plenty of work to do. Uh, I think they missed an opportunity big time here. Uh, they'll be kicking themselves. They could have, you know, get the win, then then rest players when you're already through. But there we go. Uh, perhaps a bit of a mistake, but it sets things up nicely. And it's going to be interesting to see how that group ends up. Moving on to Group C. Uh, and again, this is another interesting one. Um, Tom, tell me, Santos, Boca, huge, huge names and perhaps a bit of a surprise. We've been a bit... 
disappointed by Santos, but this is obviously quite a big result, uh, a win against Boca uh, there in Brazil. Yeah, so another rematch of that semi-final from last year and and more of what we saw in that semi-final compared to the the group uh, group stage victory for Boca earlier earlier this tournament. Um Boca just I don't know there's they're so lackluster they were doing enough to get the win but they they really didn't create a lot in this game and and Santos were were good they were a lot more organized and combative and and sort of again didn't create loads of chances but they did enough um and Boca just couldn't come up with a a uh, a solution really for that they you know they're they're very defensively solid. They've shown that in the league and the Libertadores in general. Um, and their midfield's tidy. That that th- three that we've praised in in previous weeks. But I think they're just really missing a creative spark in midfield. Cardona, um, having been out for a little while, is is the sort of big miss for them. And they desperately need some something a bit more, a bit more creativity and invention in in the centre of midfield. Um, Tevez had a really, really good chance at nil-nil, um, but he put it over the bar after some, you know, a good pullback from, or a, a volleyed sort of pass across goal from Pavon. Um, but after that, it was, yeah, there wasn't too much to shout about. The second half, they had lots of half chances, um, but nothing amazing. I mean, it was a really good winner um, for Santos at the end of the first half there. Um, nice team goal. They sort of got it forward to Carl Jorge, who, who pulled it back. And this is where I think maybe that that naive, naivety of the Boca young midfield there was, was sort of shown up because Felipe Jonathan, who I think is an underrated left back in um, in South America, he's, I think he's about 23 now, and, and he was very impressive last year. And he took his goal really well. He sort of arrived at the back post, Waltz passed a couple of players, really, really sort of cool finish there to to steer Santos into the lead just before half time. But you kind of saw the the Boca midfield that maybe should have been anticipating that danger. They were a little bit slow to close him down, and that was all he needed, just that little window of opportunity to to waltz past those players and, and score the opener. So Boca really struggling to to hit hit the ground running and you know, in the league, they, they've got through to the Copa de la Liga quarterfinals where they've got uh, River in a in a Super Clasico quarterfinal there. So that's going to be a bit of a headache, to be honest. They're, they've not, they're now in a position where this group is beginning to get away from them, although the fact that Barcelona lost means that it wouldn't take much to, to turn it around. Um, but they would have liked to be resting players and maybe focus on the league a little bit at this point. They can't do that now. Um, and they're going to have a real issue juggling who they play. Obviously they're going to prioritize the Libertadores, but you can't not um, put on a, a strong showing in the Super Classico. And they've also got a Super Classico in the Copa Argentina. So it's a tricky time right now to be Boca. And um, yeah, they're, they're just missing that spark and, and, you know credit to Santos they've a bit like Olympia they've come from a position of of real weakness um to storm back in and um and now they're looking like they could um you know show a bit more of what they what they had last year and and one final thing on that game I just wanted to shout out how good the young 17 year old centre-back Kaiki was you know we've all been thinking of we're looking at the Kaiki who's playing for Fluminense who's off to Man City but 
this was a really, really mature display. He was winning everything in the air. He was anticipating danger. He was being very proactive and not giving the likes of Tevez any time at all. Um, good on the ball as well. And, and just yet another fantastic talent coming out of Santos. So one to watch there for sure. Okay, sounds good. And uh, Adam, elsewhere in this group, we, we saw a win from the strongest. Now, you know, we expect the strongest to get points at home, but... You know, they hadn't really convinced or looked likely so far in this tournament. But in this game, two shots on goal, two goals, didn't have that much of the ball. But, you know, job done against the, an impressive Barcelona side. Yeah, um, it feels like basically every team that we picked up in, in like the last couple of episodes had had a bit of a shocker this week. Um, Barcelona is, uh, were far from their best, I think it's fair to say, in this game. Um, the the strongest finally showed us something. Um, they've possibly been the worst side in this competition up until up until this game. So, um, so for them to suddenly come out with a two 0 win against a side that had a hundred percent record and also hadn't conceded was 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 kind of a little bit surprising, really. Um, but yeah, I think it's too little, too late for for the strongest. And also, just a quick word on Barcelona. I think they might have to just look over their shoulder now in this group. Um, Santos beating um, Boca was was uh, was quite an interesting result for how this group now shakes shapes up because. You've got Barcelona there on nine points and then it's only three points back to Santos in second and Boca in, in third also on six points. So, yeah, I think uh, I think there's there's still plenty up for grabs in this group and maybe we're a little bit too um, quick off the mark to say that Barcelona were, 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 were through, really. It was a bad week of, of results for, for them and I've got a little bit of a sneaky suspicion that um that that the two giants in this group might well just sneak through in the end. No. It'll be interesting. Barcelona have got to play both Boca and Santos in their last two games. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, there is a chance for a turnaround there. So we'll have to see. Uh, Barcelona have been very impressive. Uh, for me, I think as well in this game, um combine the altitude with some a couple of like well timed goals. They they you know, Barca were far from their best, but I think it can hit you particularly hard when you can see the couple in kind of short short uh short time you know after the second half i think it can take the wind out of you um physically and mentally and and i think it can be a bit of a struggle barcelona losing meant there's only a now a few teams left in the in the competition that haven't lost a game so far and all of the sides are brazilian and argentine sides so barcelona was the last non Brazilian Argentine Argentine side not to have lost a game. Um, can you guys name the the teams that haven't lost yet in in the group stage of Libertadores? Uh, Palmeiras is one because <laughs> they're top and they've got twelve points. Uh, go on then, Tom. Your turn. Well. Even though it feels like they should have done by now, I know Racing are still one of the undefeated Argentinians out there. Correct. Correct. Uh, two out of two so far, and, and the other, the other one in from Argentina's River as well. Yeah, it's three out of three so far. There is still 
two Brazilian side, no, three Brazilian, no, four <laughs> Brazilian sides, sorry, to name. Four, four more Brazilian sides to name. Minero, Flamengo, uh, yeah. Sao Paulo, Fluminense, <laughs> all yeah. of them. Yeah, there, there we go. go. Yeah. Everyone else should just give up. <laughs> the Brazilians are taking over. Yeah, so, so yeah, it's... Uh, I think I think this year has felt more than ever, and I think we're seeing it in the Sudamericana as well with some results there, where Brazilian teams just seem far too strong for the field. But yeah, we 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 see how we see how both competitions pan out. But there's some worrying signs in my opinion, yeah about the competitiveness of the competitions this year. Well, if we look at Group D um, again, uh, you know the Argentines and the Brazilians in the end got decent results against Colombians who I thought played quite well um, in terms of the Fluminense Santa Fe game I've never seen <laughs> I've never seen Santa Fe play so well and I knew they were going to mess it up <laughs> like what I was saying to uh, to Austin during the game is oh, that they need to score but if they score too early Flamencia are going to come back and win this um, and what happened is because they completely dominated the first half now again I, I maybe I overhype Colombian teams sometimes. Maybe I'm overly negative about Colombian teams sometimes. I think we all do that at uh, you know different times. But this was honestly a really, really good performance from Santa Fe away at the Maracana. They had plenty of chances, 16 shots on goal. They were dominating possession. They just were all over Fluminense for much of the game. Um, and again, it felt like the more chances they create, the more the more likely it is that the the when they finally uh, make the breakthrough that you know they'll be pinned back or they'll you know they're, they're delaying the, the 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 chances they need to put some one of these chances into the net to get the ball rolling but uh, they played really well against Fluminense and defensively they got the lead uh, Jesun Gonzalez ran onto a, a little really nice little clip through ball I think it was Sierra Porras the twenty one year old right back through to uh, to uh, Yerson Gonzalez, the 19-year-old winger, who was really good for, for, for Santa Fe. There's a few good wingers at the moment. I like Santiago Moreno at uh, America. I like Emerson Rodriguez at Millonarios. And uh, Yerson uh, Gonzalez wasn't one I'd been following as closely, but he was really good, lively, creative. And it was a nice little clip, ball over the top, ran onto it, first-time volley. It was one of those goals where you can kind of see in the build-up, oh, if, if he just gets that that pass right then he's through like and it just happened exactly right you know sometimes in your mind you think you know just do it and then that can and it worked perfectly it was a really nice through ball and then suddenly santa fe played brilliant football for an hour they'd created more chances than the brazilians everything was looking good two minutes later that man fred pops up <laughs> in the box completely unmarked obviously scores because it's fred and that's what he does and uh, suddenly you know santa fe i think were deflated by that really you play so well, you work so hard to get a goal and then you concede a really stupid one like 90 seconds later. Um, I think with this Fluminense team, um, playing Nene and Fred as kind of Nene just behind Fred as the, as the front two, and then they've got the younger wingers who do a lot of the work. Um, it does really mean that out of position, they kind of have nine players, um, which is something Santa Fe kind of responded to and, and played with confidence and, and kept the ball because they had, in a, in a way, a man advantage. You know, Nene is, these both, you know, close to 40 years old, these these forwards for, for, for Fluminense, uh, which means that they don't offer that much in defence. So Santa Fe just looked very, very confident. 
but as soon as they conceded, I think that was it, game over. Um, and Fluminense then piled on the pressure in the final 20 minutes. Uh, Kyle Paulista came off the bench, scored a nice goal, ran in behind. But again, it was a really high line from Santa Fe and they, they kind of... Yeah, it, it was it was disappointed. A simple ball over the top. Kyle Paulista run through with 40 yards to run at the goal and, and clipped over the goalkeeper. And it was a nice finish. So, you know, it you can look at it two ways. One, this is flojo Colombians uh, lacking jerarquia, lacking the assertiveness and the confidence in the big games. Or you can say credit to Santa Fe for going to the Maracana and playing really nice football and, you know, creating lots of chances. Um, but when it comes down to it, the points go to the Brazilians, as as we've just mentioned, often seems to be the case this year in the Libertadores. Uh, they just came out on top. That moment of quality, those big performances, those big players were the difference. So a uh, disappointing one. Um, Tom, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there about uh, Fluminense, Santa Fe. It's I think it's just we've seen it in almost every game in this group is that the Colombians are really competitive and and the games are tight, but they're just that one notch below. And and I think that's going to tell for them, you know, this is a good Fluminense side and Fred is just a master at this at this level in this competition. Um, nice to see Kaiki get an assist as well. Um, but I think they're both Fluminense and River, even if they're not at their best, I think they know that they've, kind of got the Colombians just about at arm's length although as we get onto River it definitely didn't feel that way for much of the game I thought Junior were once again unlucky maybe not to get something against the Argentinians um Borja really nice goal um to to give Junior the lead really good strength and balance um to, to get the shot away and and it took a, a very very late goal from from River to salvage something. They they really got away with one to keep up that unbeaten run that we were just talking about a little bit earlier. Um, they had rotated their squad quite a bit, um, so again maybe they were a bit overconfident that they could go to Colombia and and get something. But I think realistically this game was overshadowed by um, events just off the pitch. Um, the River team had to go back in um, to the changing rooms after some tear gas, I think, was uh, was was let off just outside the stadium. I mean, again, River and, and tear gas in the Libertadores is a is a, a story as old as time. So they, you'd think they'd be a bit used to it by now. Um, but they, I don't know if that affected them playing. Certainly, I think it might be a maybe a slightly convenient excuse for Gajardo. Um, potentially it could be a legitimate gripe. Um, you know, the merits of whether these games should actually be going ahead is a, is a whole other question. But yeah, River of then they've really not got out of third gear yet, uh, or even second gear, you could argue. They've got only got, you know, four goals in four games. They're conceding just less than one a game. And yes, they're still in a, a position where they're, you know, probably going to go through. But if they're not careful, a couple of little slips and that could still let someone like Junior in. So I think River have to be a bit careful. They they ended up sort of bringing on the big guns in the second half and eventually got that goal. But um, yeah, both both Boca and River, the, the two Argentinian big boys, are not really firing on all cylinders just yet. Maybe it's game management, squad management, um, but little th- 
but another thing to sort of throw into the mix as well as the the super classicos they've got um back in the the league in the cup is um also the fact they've now just had a, a case of covid which is um i think got about 10 players out for for the Super Classico. So that could potentially have an impact. And, and all of a sudden, you know, they're in a tight spot and, and struggling to get out of the group. So, yeah, this this group isn't done and dusted. But as I said at the start of uh, this little segment is it does just feel like they've they've just got that know-how and, and that game management that uh, is, is seeing them through a fairly, fairly even group and, and a, a certainly one that you'd think that if Junior were in three or four of these other groups you'd be seeing them getting through yes yeah no i mean the broader context in colombia means that uh it's it, you know any games held in colombia at the moment are very difficult we we saw issues relating to atletico nacional against nacional of uruguay um the 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 nacional players were reluctant to play the game um given the the, the problems on the streets the, the the protests and the very very strong response by the colombian state um, which has been widely criticised. Um, a lot of people have lost their lives during the protests, um, and it's uh, it's a yeah, it's a very difficult time. So I think that context is important to consider when you're looking at the Colombian teams. Honestly, fans of these teams um, are not particularly interested in football right now, um, to be honest. And and this is a country that is obsessed with football, um, but there is a sense for many that there are broader wider more important considerations um which is why we see the protests around the stadiums um it's you know the the, the, the it's known as a national strike um but it's been now two weeks of solid protests uh violent protests at times uh violent oppression of the protests and of course you know there's there's been issues on both sides but in particular the state has been heavily criticized for its response and uh I know that's something that the players have openly spoken about. Um, there's a, an open letter in regards to their thoughts on the continuation of football in, in some of these situations. So it's a difficult time. Um, and uh, undoubtedly, <laughs> that had an impact on the game. I believe there were six stoppages of the game between River Plate and Santa Fe, uh, River Plate and Junior in Barranquilla. Um, so it's it's a very hard time to, to host football matches in South America at the moment, particularly in Colombia in particular. There's the COVID as well situation, which is, of course, you know, a big, big consideration. And that obviously has an impact, as we've heard on River right now. But COVID plus deep, deep um, unrest in Colombia makes things uh, particularly difficult. So let's move on and look at Group E. Uh, so in Group E, we had, well, we had uh, Sporting Cristal against Racing. Uh, and it seems that the kind of ongoing narrative is Sporting Cristal did all right, but they lost. Uh, Tom, is there is there more to this one than that? Or how did this one play out? Yeah, I think it was about as textbook Cristal in the Libertadores as you could possibly imagine. You know, before the game, we saw Racing putting out a, a very young, you know, second string, maybe even third string team. And we kind of thought, come on, Cristal, you're at home you know, you should have beaten Racing in the last game. This is your, this is your moment. Like it almost felt like all the conditions were perfect. So of course they mucked it up. Uh, it was almost as if PZ was trolling uh, Cristal sort of saying, come on, look, even we're giving you every opportunity going and, and you, and you still can't get anything from it. Um, so they've just almost fittingly, I think they're, 
their confidence in front of goal is, is as fragile as, as glass, um, as their name might suggest. And that just proved to be the, the case again. Um, you know, it was nil all for quite a long time and Racing did need to bring on some of their more established players. And then they just got hit by two goals in quick succession. Um, both really nice goals, actually. Um, both worth checking out if you've not seen them already. First one, really good work by Eugenio Mena, the Chilean, um, having a yeah, having, having a good run down the left. Pulled it back to Chancale, who's ha- who's on really good form right now. He's young, twenty-two-year-old. They got from Colón, and he did this amazing swivel and finish all in one movement that you know you didn't see coming at all, and and bent that into the corner. So I think that just made Cristal lose their heads a little bit. And then they got robbed in the middle of the park about two minutes later. The old man, Piatti, came forward and thumped in one of the nicest goals of the week. A really, really good long-range effort. Really satisfying sound as it sort of pinged off the crossbar and, and into the net in, in in an empty stadium. The type type of goal that you wouldn't you wouldn't hear that sound if it wasn't for the empty stadium that's one of the the very few benefits of 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 having no people there is the the sound of that goal going in and and Racing now despite having been poor in in both the league and the copper are sitting pretty on eight points and you know this this group is panning out exactly as we expected albeit um with the quality of the uh, of racing being being lower than than we'd probably anticipated even even by the sort of lower expectations that we probably had of them already so yeah cristal dead and buried in this group and um just a another poor night for uh, for them Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, every time I hear, you know, I, I haven't seen that much of Cristal. I haven't seen as much as some other people. But every time I hear, you know, they did quite well, but but they lost. So it's unfortunate um, at the bottom of the table. Uh, the, in the other game in the group, Rentistas got a, a a third draw in this group. Um, they're competitive, which I think is is a compliment because um, they definitely, you know, play like an underdog, a, a kind of a fearless underdog, underdog. An organised underdog, and I think you know Sao Paulo will be disappointed not to have got the one, the win, despite making some some changes in their side. Huge performance in goal from uh, Nicolas Rossi, twenty-two-year-old goalkeeper for for uh, Rentistas. Uh, saved a penalty, did very well, saved a few other good chances. So you know Sao Paulo had rotated, made some changes. They brought some of their more established players on, you know, later in the game. But uh, yeah, in the end, Rentistas were able to hold out. Uh, Orejuela scored very early for Sao Paulo, uh, kind of a looping header. Uh, Martin Gonzalez equalised quite early as well. Um, and you know, you would have expected Sao Paulo to kind of take control of things. But Rentistas, you know, plucky, energetic, enthusiastic, uh, continuing to show that they're competitive in the Libertadores. I think they are significantly as you would perhaps expect for a, a small Uruguayan club, um, significantly far behind the likes of Sao Paulo in terms of quality. Um, but they're making the most of what they have. Tom, how, how impressed have you been with Rentistas? Did you, did you expect them to be getting three draws? That's pretty good so far. Yeah, they've been great. I think um, they've been one of the teams that, okay, they're not going to get through, but they've definitely outperformed what we all expected of them. We, we saw them, you know, bottom of this group easily and whipping boys, but they've held their own. They've they've given everyone a tough game. And when you saw that early Sao Paulo goal 
go in, you kind of thought, oh, the the floodgates are open now and this could be a, a real hammering. But credit to them, they got back into it. Um, and yeah, Rossi, as you mentioned, someone who um, I highlighted before the tournament as, as one to watch. He's someone who gets a lot of chances to, to show how good he is. And he's a promising young keeper. And there's quite a few good young keepers in, in Uruguay right now. Um, it's, a, it's definitely a good league for goalkeepers. Um, and yeah, I, ju- I just kind of get the feeling that Sao Paulo kind of know they're through and they knew that they didn't really have to be at it, a fairly rotated side as well. Um, but my kind, my wonder is potentially knowing that they've got the kindest group um, out there and they don't have to be at their best to, to get through, there is a real danger that they might never really get f- like flying in flowing in in the way that they'd want to and they come up against someone good in the in the knockout stages and and go out before they've had a, a chance to really test themselves so i think there's there'll be some question marks still and i think crespo as, as i said a couple of weeks ago doesn't seem to have necessarily implemented the usual style just yet um so it's quite hard to judge them that sao paulo a, a team that i've kind of still got a few question marks not through necessarily anything they're doing wrong but just because i think it's quite hard to judge where they're at right now so yeah credit to rentistas and and their young manager 29 year old varini um definitely potentially a a name to to keep an eye on if he's if he's doing this well with a with a really under funded and uh, and small club from uruguay he, he might be a a coach to to watch in the future as well okay Perfect. Sounds good. Well, let's let's go on to Group F. And Adam, welcome. Come back. We have some good news for Chile. Uh, Universidad Católica, a huge, a very important win, and, and they're back in this group. You know, back up into second, looking pretty good. What what were your thoughts on this game? Yeah, it was um, it was pretty interesting, really, because going into this game, I did kind of fancy Católica's chances on the basis of how they'd played in their last two fixtures. Um, they were really impressive in um, beating Nacional of, of Uruguay, and they followed that up at the weekend with a fantastic win over Union La Calera, 3-0. They were in to- total control of that game from start to finish, and I thought, oh, this is interesting. It looks like um, Poet's really finally getting a tune out of this side. Um, and... I actually felt that performance-wise, this game was a regression. Um, but they were helped by the fact that Argentinos Juniors are, um, were, were with uh, 10 men for, for much of the game um, until Pooch got stupidly sent off with about 10 minutes to go, um, which which made the ending far, far more nervy than it should have been for, for, for the Chileans. Um, but yeah, I felt that until that red card, I would have probably fancied Argentinos Juniors to win this game. And I felt that even when it was 11 v 10, Kodolica were far from convincing. Um, they took until the 70th minute to have a shot on target. And this is something I've been very critical of Kodolica of under, under Poyet is, is they just don't get enough shots away, especially, especially good opportunities as well. Um, and yeah, it took them until about the 70th minute of this game to get one. And that was fortunately for them, the goal. 
which made all the difference. Um, Oed, who had come on for Marcelino Nunes in the first half, who fortunately went off injured. Um, nice cross from him. Lovely knockdown from Diego Valencia, who's in great form at the moment. Um, and uh, and yeah, San Pedri was there to 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 fire it home from close range, and, and that gave Catalica the the three points. And although I wasn't impressed with their performance, what you've got to say is that it's very unusual for Chilean sides to win in the Libertadores in Argentina. This is only the fifth time it's ever happened. <laughs> um, so, yeah, if, if you just look at that alone, you've got to you've got to give credit to Catolica for actually getting the job done, even if I personally wasn't that convinced by, by the performance. But, yeah, I felt that Poet's substitutions in the second half were a bit too negative. So the game situation um, that they'd got themselves in, very surprised we didn't see Clemente Montes off the bench. Um, but yeah, I think I think Argentina juniors will be kicking themselves though for 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 letting this one slip. No, Tom, it was a it was a pretty silly red card. Yeah, um, Alche has done so well in in the opening games. Uh, really, really silly red card, and just gave them a mountain to climb after that it's one of those games that I think you can quite easily just write off as a one of those nights you know playing more than an hour with with 10 men was was never going to be difficult and yeah we, they finally concede their their first goal of this tournament I mean maybe they're just thinking you know what this this Libertadores lark is a bit easy so let's give give these other guys a bit of a chance but certainly it means that the uh, the, the group tightens up again and um, I think they'll just yeah Look to look to go again next week, and and probably, you know, another win, and, and or potentially even just a, a draw or two is, is going to get them through. So, no alarm bells ringing just yet for Argentinos. Yeah, it's an interesting group. Um, I think, I think honestly, I think Atletico Nacional will be very happy that the next two games are away from home. Uh, there is undoubtedly very little, and I, I would say probably a negative. Uh, impact of having home games in Colombia at the moment. Um, so Atletico Nacional will be happy to be going away. This game again was disrupted, uh, was delayed because of, of protests uh, around the stadium. Um, and it was, again, I would I would define this one as another massive missed opportunity for a Colombian team this week. Uh, a game where they were in control, um, but they couldn't find the goal. Uh, Nacional... Uh, went down to 10 men and, you know, uh, the Atletico Nacional were kind of in control of much of the possession, were looking for that chance, uh, had 25 shots on goal, only six on target. But it was it was a huge missed opportunity. And again, this is a, this is a good Nacional, Atletico Nacional side. It's, it's an improving side. They're not quite there yet, but, you know, you look at the num- the players, you look at the system, it, it kind of makes sense. Andres Andrade is really good. Julian, Julian Barrera is kind of potential match winner. Um, Jefferson uh, Jefferson Dukic gets goals. Alvarez is decent up front. Alvarez up front as well is, is pretty good. Uh, but they just they just look flat. And and again, I think the distractions surrounding the game uh, off the field uh, had an impact. And you know, Nacional did very well to defend. They actually ended up with nine men. Another red card late on, um, which you know not what you'd expect from a Uruguayan team. But but there we go. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah, I just think for me, you know, Nacional all of the possession, working into decent areas, and then just not being able to connect. 
uh, and looking a little bit disjointed um, in this game. So again, I, you know, for me, another missed opportunity. Uh, I wasn't very impressed with Nacional of Uruguay, Tom, in this one. Uh, again, obviously, going down to ten men is a, is a big impact, but they 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 were far from the the four goal Nacional that we saw a few weeks ago. Actually, both of these teams were really. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think they all used the goals up in the first game there. There's no Partidazo this time. Uh, now, this Nacional, Nacional side, as I've, I've said before, is is one of the most underwhelming elements of this Libertadores so far. They've got a squad that's capable of far better, but I think for reasons we've discussed before, it's a change of style, change of personnel, all coming a bit too quickly um, before the tournament. I think it's good that Rochette's back in goal. Um I think he certainly would have kept a few out in that 4-4 game earlier um, in the tournament when they had uh, young Centurion in goal there. So he's he's a, a big plus there. But yeah, Nacional going back to basics in in, in the in the worst sense of the word, word with lots of cards. And yeah, this this whole tournament's going to be one to forget. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens next, where they keep faith with the with the manager and the ideas he's trying to bring in, um, because there's a good core of players there. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much their their last chance to to maybe salvage something out of this group. And um, yeah, with a where they won't be missed, I don't think. Yeah, well, I think you, you can look at it in positive or negative from Atletico Nacional. They had the chances, they had control of the game. But if you don't put the ball in the net, then, you know, you can't really complain. I do think they'll play better. And I think they'll be happier going away. Um, teams coming out after them and, and then having space to work into, not having the stresses of playing in Colombia at the moment. Um, so they, they play Argentinos and then they play uh, Catolica away. So this group's still open. Universidad Católica move up into second. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Starting, starting to look like that get last game of the group between Católica and Atlético Nacional in Santiago is going to be the defining game in this group. It's still got a fancy Argentinos Juniors to, to mm. finish the job off of going through. And then, yeah, I think it's probably going to come down to that game as to who gets It'll out of this group. It'll yeah, be absolutely. And do you, do you see Católica... If they're in a position to, to do so, playing for a draw, playing defensively. Well, yeah, I think I think that would be my worry. Actually, uh, I could see a situation where Poyet just plays for a point if they just need a point. I think that could potentially be the worst scenario that Katolika are in on last match day. But yeah, um, if, if if they win their if they win their next game away to Nacional, when they might fancy their chances of doing that. Um, yeah, given that given their last two results and and how well they beat them last week, uh, maybe they won't even need that. We 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 have to wait and see. But yeah, it's been a remarkable turnaround. For okay, people. perfect. And while we're talking positive Chilean news, what about a two-two for Calera against Flamengo? That's that's more positive news. Right? Yeah, mm, yeah, a bit bittersweet though. Bunny um, and Calera were were two nil up. Um, in this one, um, in the in, in the first half, and and they deserved well, it certainly deserved to be in the lead in in the early stages of this match. They they really came out of the blocks fast. They they showed great intensity. They pressed Flamengo high, and Flamengo were very uncomfortable playing out from the back in in the first in in the first um, certainly first thirty minutes of this one. 
but it did seem like they ran out of energy really especially in the in the second half and it and yeah it was just wave after wave of uh, flamengo attacks in the second half and um, yeah they'd already got one back just just before half time via a gabby goal penalty that was a very sort of soft decision to give away um soft penalty to give away sorry um, and yeah, but this was definitely one of the most uh, biased refereeing performances I've seen in the Libertadores this, this year. Um, and that's not just from uh, from my sort of Chile bias perspective, if you will. The, the, the two Argentine commentators on this game uh, on Fox were both laughing. Uh, at how absurd some of the some of the inconsistencies of the decisions were in favour of Flamengo in in this game, so it did feel like Le, Le Calera were playing against twelve men at times, um, and yeah, it felt like the equaliser in the second half was inevitable. And um, in the end, they're probably relieved that they um, that they didn't lose the game. But yeah, Uni and Le Calera, despite playing their best match yet so far and despite getting a draw against the you know arguably the biggest club in 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 South America they've uh, they're unfortunately out um but maybe this will give them a little bit of confidence to try and fight for for third spot in the group um but yeah that's going to be a tough ask with with two away games still to come for them but um I think this this has been an interesting experience for them and Looking at how they've started um, the league season in Chile, you wouldn't rule them out of potentially being back in the Libertadores again next year. So, um, so yeah, watch the space really on that one. Okay, cool. Sounds good. Sounds good. And uh, Tom, uh, Vélez, they were pretty comfortable in this game. Thiago Almada missed the penalty early on, but then scored just before the break. Um, and uh, yeah, and then two 0 up. Lucas uh, Jansen, uh, LDU pulled one back towards the end, and then uh, Velez finished the job off. But you know, while while at times it looked as though LDU might pull level, I think they were good winners, uh, Velez, in this one. What are your thoughts? Yeah, definitely. I, I think Velez are, are sort of putting in, getting the results that their performances have deserved, and and they really needed to pull this one out of the bag because they obviously were coming from a, a position of having lost their first two games, needing to win um, another one just to give themselves a chance of, of st- giving them, yeah, giving themselves a chance to get into the knockout stages. And, and they did exactly that. This was one of the ties that before the, the round of fixtures was probably looking one of the most tantalizing and yeah, definitely everything went right for Velez. They really, really dominated in the first half, um, but they weren't really creating loads of goal scoring opportunities. You know, you would have expected Almada to, to put that penalty away. Um, He's, he scored some really important penalties in, in crunch moments in the Sudamericana last season. Um, But he, he really made up for it. Um, Bit of a fortunate deflection to, to get it back in, into the back of the net but it gave them a deserved lead at half time Quito were really organized pressing well making it hard for Velez but they weren't really offering too much going forward and and Almada I think he just typified the sort of difference between these two sides and and also just showed that he's I think he's ready now to 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 finally make a move on because everything he everything he does has just got that little bit more zip to the pass, a bit more in, in, incisive um, decision-making. He's 
he rarely gives the ball away now and and he's he's very clever at linking things up riding the tackles drawing attention away from other players and and spreading it around he's really enjoying himself in that number 10 role and capped off a really good first half performance to to make up for that missed penalty um and then Vela's showed the kind of variety they've got off the bench as well with Centurion coming on, making an instant impact, really twisting and turning for, for Janssen to, to head in at the near post. And yeah, as you, as you said, there was a little bit of a spell of, uh, of pressure from Quito when they got that one back. You kind of thought, oh, Vela's going to be able to hold on here. Um, but then it was a really horrible, unnecessary tackle from Piovi. Um with about five minutes to go, he got straight red. And I think that ruined any chances of um, Quito getting an equaliser. Um, and then right at the end, Manquejo scored a, a goal for the icing on the cake, really. It was a really, really bad error from Quito. They they got a free kick in their own box and their player just passed it straight to Manquejo, who just had like a tap into an open goal. So, yeah, that kind of summed up their night. And I think they, they, they struggled... Yeah. No, I was just going to say that I've seen quite a bit of Liga de Quito over the last few months and they, they do seem to have this habit of sort of shooting themselves mm. in the fit, in, in the foot and sort of doing stupid things at stupid times uh, to cost themselves a, I th- a game. I think as well, the way they kind of set up was very much, look, right, let's try and get a draw here. And they, as soon as that first goal came in just before half time, they then were like, it was hard for them to change their mindset and try and take the game to Velez who, you know, can, can pick you off on the, on the counter-attack with the options they've got. And I think we saw something similar as well in the game against Flamengo. They, they gave Flamengo way too much respect early on. They did manage to get back into that game, you know, being at home obviously helped, but then again, they, they shot themselves in the foot. So they're now in a bit of a bad run. I think that's three, losses in a row now where they've conceded three in each of them and with a away trip to Flamengo it's not looking great for them and and I think if um if Velez can beat La Calera which isn't um a given by any stretch of the imagination um and Flamengo can do them a do them a favor and, and beat Quito then it means that going into that final game with Flamengo probably already qualified then they just they don't even. They, they might have rest players, and even if they do need a result in that final game, they're they're probably going to be up against the the one Flamengo side that you, you don't mind playing with if they're already through to the next round. So, from from just in two weeks, it's turned around really quickly for Velez, and they've been absolutely flying in the league as well. And and it's it's good to see them looking like they're probably going to progress now because they, they are a good side and to go out in the group stage would have been a real shame. Yeah, it looks like in this group that while it's still fairly close, uh, Flamengo, you know, top with 10, uh, Velez 6 and then LDU on 4, it looks as though that the, the next round of games with Velez hosting La Calera um, and Flamengo hosting LDU Quito, it, it does feel potentially like this group can be finished uh, in a week's time despite it still being quite close now. You would put Flamengo and Velez at home as I think strong favourites uh, but we'll see I mean LDU they're, they're a decent team when they're on their day so you know who knows what can happen and we've seen Union La Calera do very well uh, but it does feel as though it may be in a week's time we talk about Group G being done which we'll have to see um, but but that's kind of how it looks Group H is a group that does 
feel like it's almost done as well. Um, the more professional clinical sides at the top is kind of my assessment of this one. America de Cali, again, you know, another example of a Colombian team playing quite well and losing or disappointing at least. Uh, they had a large amount of possession. This is the first time for me that America kind of had something close to their best 11. And I did think, I think it made an impact. You know, we're talking about a game they lost 3-1, but the final goal was the 97th minute with America pushing with 10 men, uh, which I think is a, is a factor as well. But with Adrian Ramos, they finally had a focal point number nine. He played well last week and now they had Ramos with Duvan Vergara, Santiago Moreno. That That's a good, that's a good front three for the Libertadores. The midfield is solid. They played their young centre-backs together, uh, Kevin Andrade and, and Pablo Ortiz, who largely did a good job. Um, I think perhaps the experience of Hulk uh, showed at times up against the youngsters, but you know they're, they're, they're good young defenders. They'll, they'll have very good careers, I think. And Grataral in goal was good. Um, but yeah, Hulk gave them the lead. Uh, Santiago Moreno pulled one back. Uh, and then uh, a Guillermo Arana uh, second-half goal put Monero back in control. A decent performance. Uh, Savarino, oh, the Venezuelan, uh, is I think the highest assist, top assist in the Libertadores this year. Again, very impressive. Um, for me, Minero, again, it's that cutting edge, it's that confidence, it's that that experience, that you know, the the, the feeling that we're Brazilians, we got big players, we can win these games in big moments, and and for me, that was. The, the key difference here. Tom, your thoughts on this one? Uh, America, not too bad, but in the end, the, the experience and the quality of Minero kind of made the difference? Yeah, I mean, I think out of all the Colombians, America have been the ones that I've been least impressed by. And, and I think they showed their naivety um, big time you know, on, well, both of those final goals I mean yeah the last one maybe they were pushing um, um, and leaving gaps at the back with with a man less and everything but I think that second one you can you can pinpoint it I think to the to the throw on there's just a simple throw on over the top of all of the um, America defenders and then Savarino does very well but again he, he goes past his man with ease and, and yeah, it's a brilliant finish from Arana. Um, one of the, one of the goals of the week for sure in off the crossbar. Um, really, really impressive, uh, finish there. But I think that those kind of moments where you just switch off, um, as well as Atletico Mineiro's obvious class. I mean, you know, that cross by Fernandez for the first goal and Hulk's brilliant header, you know that is that is class. It's very hard to defend against, but they didn't help themselves with that. And then even the last goal, you know, there's a, there's an unfortunate slip, and um, Diego Tardelli just has a free run. And and I think we should give some love to Eduardo Vargas, who's two weeks in a row now. He's sort of come on and, and just put the icing on the cherry with a, with a goal right at the end. And, and this one was quite enjoyable. He kind of chipped over the keeper, but didn't quite have enough um, on it to, to go in. So from about two yards out, did a diving header, which is which is always nice to see. There should be more that was, close that range. That was all part of the finish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think he did that on purpose. Oh, yeah, he's just showboating. <laughs> but <laughs> e- either way, um, I think that just topped off a, a, a good week for, for Chilean football with uh, Vargas just um, yeah doing that little trick uh, for all of us w- watching at home. So, yeah, that that was good. And um, Minedo, yeah, they're, they're looking good, but they've had a fairly kind group, I think. And um, we'll we'll see what they're made of in the, in the knockout stages. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, I think that's the thing. Colombian teams, you know, using the ball quite well, doing kind of the harder stuff pretty well, but then letting themselves down in the key moments. And again, another game uh, slightly disrupted, played up at Barranquilla, uh, not possible to host a game in Cali. Another one which uh, which was impacted by the the broader context. Not to make excuses for the Colombian teams, but you know it clearly has had an impact. Um, not that I I had great confidence in these teams, you know, dominating the Libertadores anyway. Um, but perhaps we'll see one or two sneak through. We'll have to see one maybe. <laughs> let's be let's be realistic. We'll have to see how it goes. Uh, and the final game, Tom. Last but not least, uh, Deportivo La Guaira against Cerro Porteño, 1-0 Cerro. Job done. Uh, anything you want to explain and divulge and discuss on this massive game? I'm not going to spend too much time on it. I mean, I think there's. it almost feels like we're being harsh on La Guaira and, and always putting them last, but this, it's more to do with the fact they're in the, in the last group, but the fact that they rarely score and rarely concede doesn't really help them get further up the billing I don't think but you know there's someone scored against them that's pretty impressive I mean it was only a penalty I think that's probably one of the few ways that you will get a goal against this uh, team but they'll probably be a little bit disappointed um, with that and and Cero somehow have have kind of emerged being in quite a decent position even though we've we've seen that they're not quite at it so it's been quite a good week for the Paraguayan sides in general with, um, yeah, Olympia getting back up there, Cerro Porteño looking like they're in the driving seat to go through in second place as well. And um, yeah, maybe, maybe not expecting too much of them in the, in the next round, but um, yeah, I think that's about, about all there is to say really. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, credit to La Guayera, only the second goal they've conceded in four games. Um, You compare that to 10 uh, for the strongest, you know, they're, you know, 10 against Union La Calera as well. So, you know, there's we, we can credit the teams who put in a load of goals, but, you know, fair play. Uh, three draws, one defeat. Uh, it's a very competitive performance. One goal. <laughs> <laughs> one goal, yeah. Come on, dude. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not the that's, best one That's either. Sporting Cristal levels right there, which we all know is not a good thing. <laughs> Even Rentistas have scored more than that. So, um, yeah, that is their big big problem so uh yeah if, if anyone yeah, uh, it, is looking for a striker i think it's uh yeah. it is quite a big problem if you can't score any goals in football uh but you know they, they don't concede many uh and you know disappointing just conceding by a penalty i think cerro are going through because they're organized and professional and you know who knows maybe that will uh get them a couple results or, or another positive result in the knockout round uh they're not spectacular but I was very impressed with their performance away against America de Cali. I thought they managed the game well, picked off America with great precision. America had all of the ball, but Cerro had all of the control, which is interesting. So, uh, again, I think a professional performance from Cerro away uh, in Venezuela against a team that, uh, you know, have shown a very difficult to, to get past. So I think they'll be delighted with that. And as you say, 10 points for Minero looking good at the top. Uh, Hulk scoring a load of goals. Um, he scored two in 45 minutes twice in the last, in, in for two rounds and then, uh, and then again, scoring again this week. So Aminero looking, looking good, but not perhaps the strongest group. Uh, so they're looking like they're, I mean, they're already through. Cerro look very likely with seven points. And then maybe, maybe if La Guaira can find their, 
their goal scorer, they could maybe make a challenge. Um, but they're on three, and then America at the bottom on one, which is not good from a Colombian perspective. We'll have to see what happens uh, in the final games. Okay, guys, thanks for joining me. That's the end of uh, of this week's episode. Um, Adam, anything you'd like to to point people in the direction of before we say goodbye? Um, yeah, well, they could sign up to my newsletter, which is called Pachanga, and that's on Substack. There's a link in my Twitter bio to that, and you can find me on Twitter at AdamBrandon84. And yeah, that's about it. I do, I do need to write an update for for the newsletter for the about Chilean football. It, it, it should be coming in the next few days, but yeah, being pretty busy in in recent weeks, I haven't been able to update it as much as I would have liked. But yeah, should get back on it this week, hopefully. Perfect. Well, now you've got the, the all of the audience of this podcast holding you to account. We'll, we'll be waiting. <laughs> no pressure now. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll go and subscribe and we'll make sure we're ready for that. I'm already subscribed. It's great to get an email with, uh, with all of this information. It's, it's always very interesting and useful. So go subscribe to that. Tom, anything you'd like to say before we say goodbye? Now you can find me on Twitter at TomRow89. Um, should have a piece on one of your favourites, Jarrington Campas, coming out fairly shortly for Y Scout. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's about it at the moment. So yeah, just follow me there for South American football chat. Perfect, Hamilton Campas, my guy. What a great player he is. Yeah, go check that out. He's he's a very interesting man. Complete box to box player uh anyway let tom tell you about him he's good he's exciting check it out okay guys thanks <laughs> for joining um you can follow me on twitter at simon edwards saf uh and you know thanks everyone for for checking in for listening for joining if you want to do a review you can do that on apple that's always useful if not hit retweet share the podcast get it out there uh and thanks for thanks for joining us again so we'll be back next week we'll be seeing how these these groups uh work out we'll see kind of what narratives emerge we'll see what uh, dramatic games we can look forward to in the final game so everything's kind of setting itself up and you can see how quickly uh things can change in the libertadores we we were worried about brazilian d- dominance but uh there's definitely plenty of uh, teams giving them a run for their money and we'll, we'll see how they do in the final week. So join us again around this time next week and we'll discuss everything. Thanks for listening. I'll be back soon. Bye.